0: The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. All right, we did this last hour, love to do it again. Welcome anybody from the crew that's joining us today. I know they're starting school. Yeah, give them a hand, absolutely. We also have uh, others heading off to school. We'll be in prayer for you. I'm glad it's you, not me. Uh, Didn't like school too much. Some of you may, but this is not an endorsement to drop out, but uh, (laughs) enjoy your time. Uh, So the last, I guess it was, I was reading over how many weeks it's been, last 17 weeks or so, we've been in the Sermon on the Mount. It's been a great way to dive in and get real deep into uh, Jesus' instruction there over the summer and even before the summer. And uh, so we finished that last week and now we're getting into a new series, uh, the stories of Jesus, uh, the parables, and uh, we'll be... Uh, Getting into some of those, and uh, today starts that day. We're in Matthew chapter 13, Uh, if you want to turn there. Matthew chapter 13, we're looking at uh, one of the most iconic uh, stories ever told by Jesus, the parable of the sower. So this parable, it comes on the heels of Jesus, uh, basically making this bold claim that he is Lord of the Sabbath, And now sometimes that kind of falls on deaf ears here because it's like we don't really have that relationship, we're not at the temple, we're not engaging in that. And so for us to understand that, it's a very serious claim. And Jesus boldly said that to the religious leaders, even healing people on the Sabbath, which made them really upset. And so upset that it set into motion their plan to literally destroy Jesus. And that was the plan. Of course, Jesus knew their plan, and he didn't back down. He went on to heal a man with a withered hand, which led the Pharisees to literally accuse Jesus of being Satan, being influenced by Satan himself. And Jesus, again, not backing down, roasts them in a number of different ways, and their accusations makes them look dumb and calls them a brood of vipers on top of all of it. Now, that's not much of a diss, I don't think, here. (laughs) Like, you brood of vipers. Uh, But back then, it must have been pretty tough, because again, they went off to try to kill him. So it must have been really bad, whatever he was calling them there. And he was bold. He was brash. He told the truth. He was loving, but he still told the truth, and oftentimes, that angered these religious leaders. So today, when we look at this parable of the sower, we're going to, Look at the setting, the schooling, uh, the setting, the schooling, the story, and the summary of this great parable. And we can start with the setting in verse one to three. The same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach and he told them many things in parables. So this setting is by the Sea of Galilee. Jesus is staying, I don't know if it's a verbo or what, but he's staying on the side of the Sea of Galilee. He goes out the front of the house and he's just hanging out by the sea. And oftentimes when Jesus would do things like this, he would commune with his father, he'd talk with his father, but on this day he didn't really have the chance to do that because of his growing popularity. Luke actually puts it in more detail in, eight, in chapter 8, verse 4, says, When a great crowd was gathering, and people from town to town were coming uh, after him, he came to him. So it wasn't just these small numbers. I've, I've heard people try to downplay the crowds that came after Jesus. kind of say, Oh, it's just a pocket here, it was a group here. But these are literal towns of people showing up, town after town. I mean, like a Taylor Swift concert, I guess. I don't know, but it's like just everybody's showing up. And to the point that, in verse two, you see they forced him, they're pressing in on him, he's backed up against the sea, and the only choice he has is to get into a boat and to get pushed back from the shore so that he doesn't get mobbed and trampled. These are the crowds coming after Jesus. And then verse three, he told them many things in parables. Now, we'll dive into a deeper understanding of Uh, the parables in a few minutes, but it's important for us to note that this is how the culture understood back then. There's no Google, there's no Netflix, there's no, uh, you know, searching up things, you know, Twitter or whatever. This is like uh, old school uh, social media. It's stories. This is how people understood culture, tradition, laws. This is how history was passed down. And so for you that like to tell stories like me, you would fit in right here really well. Now, right now, in this moment of time, I don't because my wife and my kids keep telling me, Dad, you already said that. You already told that one. I'm like, well, maybe I'm just emphasizing, right? Get used to it because I'm just getting older. So they tell stories. And so here it is, these stories. This is how the culture learned. And here's the basic form of the story that Jesus will get into toward the end of our time together. But the basic form is found in verse 3 to 9. So he told this parable, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell in good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. So, in this town of Galilee, outside of raising a family, agriculture would be the most. Uh, relatable topic for Jesus to speak on. Now, for us here today, maybe not. Some of you might live on a farm. Some of you might be trying to grow a garden. I don't know how in 106 degrees every day, but hey, good for you. If you did it. you know, that's amazing. You should get an award. But for most of us, we might not be able to relate to this agriculture discussion, so we're going to get into it a little bit. But this is how his hearers would have understood very likely, actually, when Jesus came out of the house, there's very likely that he could have even seen a sower with his pouch spreading seed before he even talked to the people. So it's very common back then for this to take place, and Jesus starts with this basic story. And in this basic story, there's four landing spots for the seed. First of all, there's the path, which is prime feeding ground for birds. Then there's a rocky part, which is not much soil, maybe a little bit, but no depth, sun scorched, just like our lawn right now, right? So we can relate here as well, that this is kind of rough soil. The thorns that come up and choke out whatever grows from the seed, and then the good soil, prime for planting and multiplication. So it reminds me actually of what we just discussed in prayer time of Rwanda. When I go over there, I just see vegetation year round no matter what time of year I go. And these fields actually produce one thing in the fall and then in the spring they're somehow producing other things. I don't know how it happens, but it's just amazing. It's just stuff like just agriculture for days. And so it just shows you this good soil, lots of rain and just rich soil. And that's what he describes here in the fourth landing destination. But in verse nine, I think it's important for us to note this statement he makes. He who has ears, let him hear. Now, if any of you have kids, you know, or maybe grandkids, or maybe you teach kids, or you have some kind of influence there, and uh, you, can, you can relate to the challenge of hearing, right, when it comes to kiddos, right? And as a parent or a grandparent or a teacher, you're like, hey, Let me see your eyes. Even when I go to pray with the uh, Lake Belton high school football team and and the coach gathers them around and it's like 100 100 players around him, he says something, he says, eyes. You know what they do? They answer eyes. And that means, hey, look at me. (laughs) And sometimes we do that with our kids and this is Jesus saying, hey, if you have ears today, if you have two ears, hey, perk up listen. Maybe some of you even now can hear that statement. Hey, get off your phone if it's not on scripture and listen. Stop thinking about what you're going to order at Freebirds and listen. See, I put that in your head now and you're distracted. (laughs) Back up and listen, right? So Jesus is giving this opportunity. So he's saying, listen, he explained the parable in a little way, But then the disciples actually give him an open door to explain even further. Look at verse 10, this is what we see, the schooling of the Pharisees, or the the disciples. Verse 10, then the disciples came to him. Why do you speak to them in parables? And he's like, okay. In verse 11, he answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But for the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So Jesus takes them to school. (laughs) He's like, you asked a question, let me give you this answer. And this may not be the answer you're looking for. See, verse 11, the disciples had the privilege of enlightenment into the secrets of the kingdom. They had that enlightenment. But the people that he was telling these parables too, they were ignorant of spiritual things. They did not understand. They were blind to the God described by Daniel to Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 2, 20 to 22. Daniel answered and said, blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. So a lot of these people hadn't had these deep and and hidden things revealed yet. and So Jesus is telling these parables to help them understand. Verse 12 helps us see that it's a great privilege and responsibility to have these insights. If you're sitting in this seat right here with us today and you have the love of God in your heart, you have the transformation power of Jesus and the Holy Spirit inside of you, it is a privilege. And it also is a, a, a t- counts to you um, there's a responsibility as well in knowing these things. You see, these parables that he's describing, they're not just cute stories, nice little stories that Jesus can tell to the people before they go to bed and have their milk and cookies or whatever. This, these stories are real life and death situations, Many of these parables actually end with like things being burnt up and destroyed and demolished, like going off into eternal darkness. These aren't things you slap on the wall of your nursery at home. These parables are are stories that are relatable, but they're also powerful. They bring stories of life and death. Albert Moeller states this, every one of the parables is an explosive disclosure of the kingdom of heaven. These parables reveal what the kingdom of heaven is about. And then in verse 13, Jesus literally describes these people that can't hear and understand as blind and deaf. He goes on to quote Isaiah 6, 9, and 10 here in verse 14 and 15. He describes them as like hearing words in another language but not being able to understand. Some of you maybe have gone to another country and you get off the plane and you just, you don't know the language, you're just hearing words and you're just like, I wish I could understand. Where's that Google Translate? This is what it's like for people to hear the word and not understand it. It's like walking around with a sleep mask on. They're in darkness. So for us as believers to see those who are in darkness and, and to treat them like they should have the light is wrong for us in how we interact with those that don't know Jesus. We need to understand what these first three soils are about, which are about unbelievers. And for us to see that they're in darkness, they're blinded, they need light. And so for these parables, sometimes it can just be in one ear, out the other. Like I could sit my four kids down in our living room and tell a story that might have a spiritual meaning and for three of them it's just like whew, right over their heads or they're thinking about something else and one of them's like, oh, I got it. This is how it is with the parables. This is what Jesus is describing. It falls on deaf ears and it falls on listening ears. And then he talks a little bit about the idea of turning in verse 15 toward the end. This turning... And the idea is a repentance. It's not just turning and then turning back. It's the idea of a military reference where you turn. You literally go the opposite direction towards something different. Isaiah forty five twenty two says, Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. It's kind of like the idea of your kids finally getting a concept, a light bulb, all finally going on, you know. And you've taught them for years about it, but then, boom, one time, bam, they finally get it. Or maybe you're a teacher, and the kid in the classroom sits in the back, you know, it really doesn't pay attention. But then, all of a sudden, it's like, oh, wow, Johnny's got it. And that's what he's describing here, this turning. Now, Jesus is describing the present state of the audience that's hearing these parables, but I think we can relate, Right? We can understand that he also is describing our world today, highlighting three body parts. That's interesting, even over the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, uh, in his own way, he was there at creation, fascinated with the human body he created. And a lot of his illustrations come from the human body, and here's no different. He, he's, he deals with hearts, ears, and eyes. First, he says, the hearts have grown dull. It's not the, the blood-pumping organ that you have. But he's talking about the core of who you are has turned to stone. The hearts had grown dull, just like Ezekiel described in 11, 19, and 20, and I will give them one heart, a new spirit. I will put within them, I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh, give them a heart of flesh. They may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. They shall be my people and I will be their God. Needed to be a heart transformation and those that are listening to these parables need that heart transformation. He goes on to talk about ears, the idea that our ears, the listener's ears can be numb to spiritual things. And studying that over the last few weeks really convicted of me of what I allow into my ears and what I traditionally focus on. And whether it's music or, or Netflix or whatever it is that you guys entertain, both with your eyes and your ears, we are responsible for that. And oftentimes the things of the world can dull our senses to really hear what God has to say. And we really need to consider what we're allowing into these ears, and if the things we're allowing into these ears point us to Jesus. we really need to consider that. And then he goes into eyes, refusing to see what's in front of them. Now, my family and I had the privilege, we were gifted an opportunity to be able to go uh, to Florida. And I know I say that wrong for you Texans, but I say it like that because I'm not from here. We went to Florida, okay? And so What we did was we went to Clearwater, which has one of the most amazing beaches for sunsets that you'll ever experience in your life. And we got to see things like, I think we have a slide of this sunset. This isn't off of Google. This is, my daughter took a picture of this. And we're sitting on these chairs just encountering God's creation in a way that's just powerful. But as I sat there, I got my phone in the cup holder and I caught myself at times even picking my phone up. Now I'm taking pictures and my kids are in the water and taking pictures of them. But then, oh, who posted? Oh, someone posted this. Oh, Sydney posted this on Instagram, whatever it is. But then I I get distracted, right? And my eyes go down. And it was like literally like God just slapped me in the face and say, hey, dummy, look up. Look at what, I just look like this is my creation. And our eyes grow dim from the things of the world and we can't see God for who he is because we're so distracted and we're so numb to spiritual things. Not railing on the phone alone. There's lots of things that can distract us and cause our eyes to go down or cause our eyes to go over and next to and trials and difficulties and all the tough things of life. But what he's saying is these parables are meant to lift our eyes, to be transformed by the power of the Spirit. And what happens Is these parables, these stories, they're meant to shred the scales of our blinded eyes, awaken their ears to the crisp sound of truth, destroy the calluses over their hardened hearts. And the result of that is willing repentance. Willing repentance leading to complete healing. To those of you that are believers in this room, for you as a Christian, do you consider it an absolute privilege? an absolute privilege to know, God, that you have the words of eternal life, that this word right here, that it's an extreme blessing to own it, to have the words of life and have complete 24-7 access to the very words of God. It's a privilege. See, we acknowledge this blessing, then question I might have to ask you is why are we still living day to day like we're deaf and blind we have the blessing of the word we have all the parables we have the sermon on the mount but yet we continue in our deafness we continue in our blindness and some of you you just don't know Jesus and that's just what happens and you're invited today to know Jesus and trust him but for those that know Jesus, it's a wake-up call for God to do a work in your heart, to do a work on your ears, to do a work on your eyes, to awaken you to something new. Paul challenges the church at Ephesus in 5.14. He says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. See, these parables, are meant to awaken us to a new way of living kingdom living. Jesus makes it clear in verse 16 and 17 that knowledge, religion, and a form of righteousness can still produce blindness and deafness. You can attend here every single week and still be blind and deaf. Coming here and taking part in this doesn't mean you're not blind and deaf. It just means you're checking a box. God wants more. Only the quickening power of the Holy Spirit allows us to hear Every time we come through these doors, pop on a Christian podcast, bust open the word, take part in a Bible study, or jump into a small group, we must be vigilant in prayer for open ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to understand, embrace, and put into practice what the Spirit reveals. We have to bathe it in prayer. So then Jesus gives a summary as we finish up this passage in verse 18, a summary of the story Hear then the parable of the sower, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. And as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. And he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. Choke the word and it proves unfaithful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another 60, in another 30. So here's the summary. See, each one of these soils represented, represented by a person, every one of them has a form of hearing. Every one says a herd the first one and these these titles are borrowed from a book that i'm reading called tell me the stories of jesus if you want to understand the parables in a new way go get that book tell me the stories of jesus there's four different hearts represented first of all the rejecting heart the hard soil hearing but no understanding it's laying on top of this 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 path the seed is there it has no life and no opportunity for life sounds like the people Paul warned Timothy to stay away from in 2 Timothy 3, 7, always learning, never able to ride at a knowledge of the truth. See, the evil one comes and snatches it away. You know, hardened hearts are nothing new in our history, right? You go back to the Old Testament, you see Cain and Abel. You see all different stories of hardened hearts, whether it's Jonah, whether it's David at times in his life. Nebuchadnezzar, you go in the New Testament and see hard hearts. Our history, your own family, you We all have experienced hardened hearts, right? So the evil one comes and snatches it away. There's no opportunity for growth. But even in our culture, we live in a culture now that continues to develop hardened hearts, continues to reject immediately any thought of Jesus. And we, as a church, are responsible to come up with different ways and unique ways to engage people who are rejecting, who are part of the hard soil. Then the superficial heart, number two, the rocky soil. On the surface, it sounds great. They immediately receive it with joy. How exciting. It reminds me of my years of youth ministry, 25 years seeing students go to camps, see them going to impact and do an impact club, seeing them go on a mission trip, and they're excited, they're they're pumped. And they have this encounter, but unfortunately, most of the encounter was emotional. And they get the emotion, the hype, and then they come home, and then what? Trials, testing, temptations come, and then it shows what they really were, and all it was was an emotional decision, a spiritual high, there was no root. It was surface level and phony. These various soils are very relatable, like I said before, to us. This hard in the soil, I I went out front of my yard and naively brought a shovel with me to plant two trees a a few years back. And living out uh, west, you know, it's just rock. And so I start digging, I get seven inches down, and you know what I hit? Not just a rock, this thing was like you could feel it 10 feet away. So what did this Philly boy do for the next weekend? He rented a jackhammer, and dug a hole for these two stinking trees in his yard that he couldn't do anything with except find a hole to put them in. So we can relate to this hardness of soil. And as the plan, if I just plant it in the seven inches, guess what? That tree's dead. It couldn't have a root system. So notice the word immediately. It's actually used twice here in verse 20. 21, it's like, this rocky soil, it's like the seed, of the, the door of the house was open, the seed came in and it blew right out the back door as quick as it came. That's the idea of this rocky soil. See, the gospel seed needs time to nourish and, and, and get down and develop roots. James 1 teaches us all about what testing produces and what we see in a good seed Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Adrian Rogers uh, puts it this way. A pastor and evangelist says, the faith that fizzles at the finish was faulty at the first. That describes this. Immediately received it with joy, but there was no root. It was superficial. Then we got the unfruitful heart, the third one, the weed-infested soil. The cares of the world, deceitfulness of riches. Uh, We don't have time to get into all that, but if you go from a few weeks back, not to plug my own talk, but I happen to get the talk on treasures. If you didn't hear that one, go back on the website and listen because that embodies the cares of the world and deceitfulness of riches. And what it does is choke the word. It proves unfruitful. The Bible is full of challenges concerning fruit bearing Psalm 1-3 talks about the godly person, and it says that person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields fruit in its season. Trees of water, being able to get natural nourishment from that water, from that river that it's planted next to. Dave finished up the series last week and gave a great quote about building our life on the solid rock. It says, someone with true faith will have a pattern of obedience in their life. It's not the basis of our salvation, but it's the fruit of it. So when it comes to the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches, I think it's, we can just simply say, hey, this world has nothing for us. There's no satisfaction that comes from the world. I know this is speaking of an unbeliever, but I think we can get a warning to ask ourselves the question, what is choking the word in our own lives? What is choking the word as it comes in? It doesn't have time to take root because we have so many things going on. Maybe a busy schedule. Maybe we just packed with stuff or our thoughts go elsewhere. We don't really discipline ourselves to be in the word and we're choked out. John fourteen twenty three. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come, we will come to them and make our home with them. So, the last soil, the fourth, is the obedient heart. This is the believer, the one who truly believes, hears, and understands. It's a Greek word used here, I'll try to not butcher it. Sunie me. And the idea is putting together joint facts into a comprehensive whole where God comes at you in different ways in your life. And you get a fact here and you get a a proof here and you get his word here and it's these pieces that begin to come together and the Holy Spirit melds and welds these pieces together into this whole of belief and understanding. And so for us, we get this truth. So how do we know that you are a hearer? and a doer, someone who has this obedient heart, how do you know that you can be recognized by one who has the good soil? Well, the scripture is all over this and it says you bear fruit. That there should be evidence that you know Jesus in your life. You don't just write your name on a decision card and say, I'm good, that's it, I got fire insurance. I'm good. There should be evidence of something, a change. Now, maybe it starts slow. Or maybe it starts fast and then gets slow and then goes. It's it's a relationship. But there should be some fruit. You know, due to the recent tragic passing of my nephew, God has really pushed me to consider things that really matter and will last. His short time here on earth of 25 years... Was filled with sowing seeds and bearing fruit. However, a lot of this fruit will continue for years to come. This dude went to work at Starbucks as a supervisor and brought his Bible every day. Everyone knew what he believed. There were directors, regional and district directors, that drove over three hours. To his funeral. And time and time again, what I heard that I didn't know before about him in this context that I didn't know him in, was he was one who spread the seed. He was a sower. And what we'll see in his life for years to come if Jesus doesn't come back, is the fruit of that. He was in good soil. It wasn't anything that he did on his own. It was because of the work that God did in his heart, that seed that was planted. And he, he was abiding in Christ. This makes me proud as an uncle, but much more profoundly beyond that, it challenges me to think about my own life. May I challenge you to think about yours as well. Maybe to consider these things as we wrap up. Has the word of God and the power of Jesus taken root in your soul? Has it truly taken root in your soul? If it hasn't and you are one of those that have rejected it, now's the time, today's the day to embrace the Savior who gave his life for you. But if you can say yes to the fact that his root has taken hold, do you see the evidence of this by the fruit that comes from your testimony and your works in honor of the king? See, if you don't see evidence of fruit, there's a problem. There's no sign that you know Jesus, that you are part of his kingdom, then you need to do work. You need to pray and talk and say, God, I'm not sure what's going on. There's something in the way. And today's the day to do that. John fifteen 8, and 9 says, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. We'll finish with this thought. My daughter was heading off to go work at Pine Cove this past summer. And I wrote a letter that we mailed to her, and really, I just it was just a short thing, and the main word that I used was abide. There's lots of dad advice I could give her, like don't talk to boys ever, um, but the word abide just came, in, came to my heart and kept coming to my heart. And if I could teach my own kids or teach you any word that could stay with you forever... One of those would be abide. Because none of this happens. This good soil just doesn't happen. It's an abiding thing. It's taking root in your heart and it's producing things that you can't claim any power over. It's the Holy Spirit that does this work. So my challenge to you is to think about what soil do you identify with? Take the words of Jesus in Luke 6, 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not what I tell you? Here's your choices today, there's two. If you haven't trusted in Jesus as your savior, do it today, trust in him. If you have, like me, in studying this scripture, you gotta take some time during this song to confess. I know it's 12.09 and I know you're hungry and I am too but three more minutes of your time won't hurt you, it will help you. So as we stand, go ahead and stand. As we stand, I want you to take this time during this song to do work with God, maybe trust Jesus today. If you've already trust Jesus, let him convict you and confess and determine to abide in Jesus.